It's concert season, and concert season is all about the boots. Already, Oxford and Ole Miss have seen Morgan Wallen lighted up at Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. Ole Miss football star and Talk of Champions podcaster Jared Ivey bemoaned how his boots were lacking. He should have gone with Tecovis, the only stop for the Ole Miss fan and the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings for the spring and summer, including timeless, always-on-trend styles in men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. Stop by your local Tecovis store and have a complimentary drink or two on the house while you shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service, and many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The sun's a-shining in Oxford, Mississippi. Cookouts in the Grove. Beer showers. It's just the very best time for an Ole Miss Rebel to get out and get going. Carry front door peace of mind with you everywhere you go with Eufy Video Lock. Never has home security been so easy. Eufy Video Lock, an all-in-one security device for your front door, allows you to keep an eye on everything back home. And it's so easy. Installation requires only a screwdriver. So ditch those house keys forever and give Eufy Video Lock a try today. There's no monthly fee, and Eufy Video Lock has customer support on standby 247 to help you with any and all home security needs. Go ahead, have your home as fun in the sun with the assurance your home is in good hands with Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock's built-in camera can tell you who's at your front door from the comfort of your poolside chair. So search Eufy Video Lock today. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. That's Eufy Video Lock, a proud sponsor of this, the Talk of Champions Podcast Network. A new year's here. And you want to put your best foot forward. The only way to do that is to make sure that you're taking care of yourself, that you're keeping yourself safe, that your pharmacy is one you can trust. Well, there's only one pharmacy in Oxford, Mississippi that can do just that. Cheney's Pharmacy, a locally owned pharmacy that's been in Oxford for over 40 years, as red and blue as the rebels themselves. Cheney's Pharmacy offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there. Hands down. It's not close. So give Cheney's a call. 662-234-7221. Or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can visit them online at Cheney'sPharmacy.com. Make sure your pharmacy is one you can trust. Cheney's Pharmacy. Much more than just a pharmacy. It's a new year. 2020, that awful, awful year, is behind us, thank goodness. And that means new beginnings. Maybe even a new car. Well, if you're in the market, there's only one place to go. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. They're going to take care of you. Get you into your next vehicle with a great deal. Their inventory right now is priced to sell. And what separates Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford is Brian and Mason and the rest of the staff. They aim to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. And when you go, make sure to mention that Talk of Champions sent you. These guys are hardcore Ole Miss fans. They're going to want to talk some Rebel sports. But more importantly, they want to make the process as seamless as possible, that you get what you want at a good price. 
So contact them today at 662-234-8000. You can stop by and see them in person at 2201 East University Avenue. That's just past Kroger. Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. That's where you got to go to find your next perfect car, truck, or Jeep. Allen Samuels, let's be friends. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit. Ben on Twitter, he's Bradley South, former Ole Miss offensive lineman, eight-year NFL vet. Today's guest on Talk of Champions is David Cobb. He covers college basketball, college football for CBS Sports. Ole Miss basketball beat Kentucky on Tuesday, Super Tuesday, actually. What does it mean for their NCAA tournament chances? I have no idea. They have the slimmest of chances to get in. They've won six of their last eight games. But of course, those two losses are to the two worst teams in that stretch. For a bubble that's so weak, why is Ole Miss not in the conversation? David Cobb, he has an idea. He'll make sense of it all. Because I can't anymore. I have no idea how to explain this Ole Miss basketball team. And it's schizophrenia. Ole Miss baseball beat the crap out of Jackson State. That's not surprising. And spring football practices are rapidly approaching. Not to mention, hey, fans in the stands at Ole Miss athletics events. Brad, what's up, man? How you doing? What's up, Ben? How's it going? What are you most fired up about? Baseball? Basketball beating Kentucky, spring football, or fans being phased into the stands at Ole Miss Athletics events. Well, I think I think the obviously the exciting news this week were was the was the fact that um, you know fans are going to be able to go to games again. Um, you know, obviously we're not completely out of the, out of the water with um, you know COVID does still exist, but um, you know obviously studies are showing something where you know they're, that they're comfortable letting fans back in, and, and hopefully this leads up to still a nice safe environment and it leads up to the fall being more people being vaccinated and um you know but maybe having a full go football season because at the end of the day that's that's what the ultimate goal is here i have erred on the side of caution with covid for a year and i am desperate desperate to get out of my house to go cover an Ole Miss athletics event in person to talk to mike bianco and players in person to do anything not at my house not on a zoom call not on skype with you just anything in person. I look forward to coming to Oxford, not only going and covering a game, going to your house, finally seeing the golf simulator. Just a bunch of stuff I can finally do now that first, the vaccine has arrived, and apparently everyone's going to be able to get vaccinated by the end of May. Go get your vaccine! But also because Ole Miss is phasing in fans. And it feels like so, so long ago when fans were packing stands in coliseums. The last time I saw fans in stands was Ole Miss baseball last year. The SEC basketball tournament had no fans in the stands. I was there for that. And then the next day, everything shut down. I, I just don't remember that world. And it wasn't all that long ago, but it feels like it's been an eternity. Oh, man, I tell you, it really does, man. I mean, that, yeah, it's been almost a year since, since. I mean, I haven't went to a sporting event, which is odd. In over a year, and it's it's almost like it's it's new norm. Almost forgot what it's like just to go into a game and, and you know be, be around a bunch of people. And 
um, yeah, man, it's, it's amazing. That was a year ago. And, um, you know, obviously I think that, um, the signs are pointing up, you know, obviously not at the, at the, at the water, you know, completely, but, uh, man, I mean, I- anything close to normal would be, would be, would be a lot of fun or at least having that option would be great. Once every single person in this country, or we get to a place where the vast majority of people have gotten the vaccine, maybe we've reached some form of herd immunity. Maybe everything is being opened up across the country, all states. Where do you want to go first? What vacation do you want to take? Because I got mine. Um, I mean, I would probably, I'd probably go out to Arizona just because I love Arizona. Um, maybe, I mean, this this time of year we usually go out for spring training and, um, you know, go out there and just hang out. I mean, I think Arizona would be fun for my family, but yeah, I mean, anything. I mean, I'd like to attend a, a full a full um, super regional or something this year. That'd be great. But uh, I mean, gosh, I mean, anything's better than 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 the no attendance. I want to go to Hawaii. I want to take Emily and go to Hawaii. I love my children. I need a break. I need a break from everything. <laughs> I just need to get out of town. I need to get away from I'm my family. You. It's just all of it, you know. And, and that's why I say, if I sound giddy, it's because I am. I want to go eat at Proud Larry's. I want to get out of my house. I'm ready to get out of here. I'm bouncing off the walls, man. I am bouncing off the walls. So when news came down, on Wednesday, I think Keith Carter released an announcement video about it, about the phased return of fans to the stands. A number of Ole Miss Athletics events, including baseball. All I could think was, yes, okay. I'm still going to do everything I can to protect other people and, and to be responsible. But the minute I walk into Swayze, I might just fall to my knees and kiss the ground. That's not very COVID safe, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I saw. I think I heard an interview, maybe earlier to, to um, yesterday or, or today. Um, Keith Carter was was talking about the, you know, obviously they have to come out and you know, give a statement on the on the phase. And it, I thought it was interesting that he got. Um, he said that they got, you know, they got together with Mississippi State, Southern Miss, some other schools, and kind of talked about you know, what they thought the best case scenario would be for phasing fans back in. And I thought it was very interesting how none of them would actually say a number. And, um, it was almost kind of like the, okay, like, I'm not going to put a number out there, but, um, show up and come to the game. It's, it's going to be on, you know? So, um, I, I can't wait. I'm excited. You know, so Swayze getting into Swayze is going to be an awesome feeling, man. Swayze is going to be packed for sec play against Auburn. That's my prediction. Going to be absolutely packed if Ole Miss continues to win. Central Florida was certainly a disappointing series loss, but Ole Miss beat the brakes off of Memphis and on Wednesday night beat the brakes off of Jackson State. Now, Memphis and Jackson State aren't particularly good. You predicted this. This is a soft portion of the schedule, the hardest schedule in all of college baseball. So Ole Miss is going to be able to stack up some wins. Then SEC play arrives. It was good to see the offense String a number of hits and runs together, put up big innings. They had seven runs in the first inning against Jackson State. You can't read anything into Jackson State. No disrespect to Jackson State baseball. I know little about you. All I know is that the third pitcher you brought in, which came in the second inning, was throwing maxed out around 72 miles an hour. It was like a 50-mile-an-hour curveball. I'm not putting too much stock into Jackson State. But if you're looking for a get-right game after Central Florida, Memphis was a good one. Jackson State, that's just a cherry on top of the Sunday, man. They just needed back-to-back crushing the opposition kind of games. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Listen, worst case, it's a a great practice. I mean, it really is. You you get out there, you get to see live pitching, and you get to work on – 
you know, maybe your approach at the plate, you get to work on a lot of little things and, um, you know, they don't make the schedule. They just tell you to show up and, and play. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, 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 to, to me, the, the, we needed these games. We really did. We needed to get out there, feel what it's like to put up some runs, feel what it's like to get some hits, maybe you know, work on a few things at the plate, switch up the lineup a little bit. I mean, it, I think that this was necessary, and and I hopefully we can take something from this weekend and come into the weekend and, and have a great series there as well. They went into the Memphis game with a 793 OPS against right-handed pitching. OPS against left-handers, 609. So it was encouraging, even though Memphis isn't any good, that the one lefty they faced, they scored five runs off of. That's encouraging. It's a small sample. But Ole Miss has been terrible against left-handed pitching so far this year. And last year, even when they were knocking the cover off the ball, hitting 37 home runs, by far led the nation. They still weren't hitting very well against left-handed pitching. I think they were hitting 285 or something like that. So encouraging signs, even though the competition isn't any good. And this weekend, Belmont for three? So they should take at least two if they take that series. If they lose one, don't freak out. It's okay. I don't expect them to, but don't freak out. It's all about winning series. That's what it comes down to. But we talk about fans in the stands, and it brings up an interesting question. Spring football practices are coming up. The Grove Bowl, Ole Miss has already announced, will go on as planned. Other schools have canceled their spring game. Ole Miss has not. They're building a Grove Bowl weekend, which was lost last year to COVID. Lane Kiffin didn't get a spring. He didn't get a summer filled with uh, individual instructions and stuff like that. Actually, Lane didn't get to meet his team until around late July, August. So now he gets a spring, and then they're going to be playing LSU that weekend. It's a full-on, typical Grove Bowl weekend. Do you expect record attendance at the Grove Bowl. Usually the Grove Bowl is not well attended. Do you think, considering what we're coming out of here, and considering the excitement built over the first year of Lane Kiffin, and considering that Ole Miss baseball, even with the series loss to Central Florida, they're going to be a contender all year, do you think or expect that there will be record attendance at the Grove Bowl? Are we finally going to see that kind of attendance? Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's going to be absolutely packed. I mean, that baseball series and grow bowl listen people have been you know for the most part about by the rules for the last year a lot of people have not came and, and now that you're able to schedule the vaccine i know people that are you know getting it in march late march early april just so they can um you know get out and, and, and get going in the spring so i i think that it's going to absolutely be a packed weekend it, it's it's going to be kind of i think that's going to what's going to be quote unquote the opening weekend for for old miss sports and almost athletics for for a lot of fans so I'm calling it now, man. That the people don't care what it is, the Grove Bowl, whatever. They're going to want to come out and, and, and actually feel some normalcy. And um, you know, a lot of people will be rushing to get that vaccine before then. It's not way too early anymore. We're heading that way now. So what are your top spring storylines for Ole Miss football? Um, I, I want to see, I mean, for, for me, I want to see the defense. I want to see, you know, obviously some of the newcomers at wide receiver, but I really want to see the defense. Um, yeah, I, I want to see them make some improvement. I want to see the pass rush kind of pick up. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just excited all around to see, um, to see what the improvements on defense are going to look like and, and what some of these new guys are going to look like. Who has to have a good spring? Um, the D line. I mean, I, I think you look across the board, I think the defensive line absolutely has to, has to get better. I mean, if, if we're going to have any chance at, at contending, it's going to solely be on, on the defense improving big time. 
Which offensive player needs to have a big spring? I would say one of the wide receivers, maybe a Mingo, a Drummond. Um, yeah, I, I, that, that, one of those guys got to step up, and you know, two of those guys got to step up and show that they can they can be um, you know reliable targets for Matt. Because whenever Elijah Moore went out, um, it, it was it was kind of tough sledding there. What is the spring even going to be for Matt Corral? Um, it's going to for him. It's going to be, you know, keep keep getting better, keep keep sharpening your you know your tools or whatever, and and go out there and show you can lead and and um, you know bring guys along with you. You know, make guys better. Um, you can't just go out there and go through the motions because you think you're a Heisman contender or you think that you're you know, the best returning quarterback. You got to go out there and keep getting better and and try to try to prove um, you know to your teammates that you can make everybody else better around you. So he's got to be an, an absolute unbelievable leader this spring. Okay, you talked about the wide receivers. I agree that the, of all the offensive positions, that's the one you want to see some guys step up. So let's go through them real quick. I'm going to name you a player. All you got to do is tell me the goal for that player for the spring. You ready? Okay. Jonathan Mingo. I say, I would say somehow develop consistency. Um, you hear a lot of reports on him in practice on how good he is and how good he can be, but um, for whatever reason, it, it it's kind of it's kind of spotty in the games. I mean, sometimes you know, you look. I think it was a Kentucky game where he went off and and looked like the the, the true number two, and then the kind of weeks after that, you kind of went under under the radar. So, I think for him, it's just developing consistency and 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 bringing you know bringing his talents to the game and and, and delivering on game day. Dennis Jackson. Um, well, I mean, I know Dennis was a, he was a highly, you know, highly talented recruit coming out. I, I would just say, uh, you know, for, for him, it's just, you know, come in and, and prove you can be a reliable player. I mean, he, he got in a little bit last year, um, showed a flash or two here and there, but, um, you know, try try to live up to your billing as the top recruit you were and you're a high recruit for a reason. So, um, you know, see if you can, it, you know, maybe go in and fill in a role, compete. I mean, he, he's got to compete and try to try to get one of those wide receiver spots because I think it's wide open, you know, the wide receiver core. You got some guys that have potential, but nobody's really that guy in that room. He's a junior now. Do something. We know Elijah Moore is gone. No one player is going to fill Elijah Moore's shoes. So do something of all the tools that Elijah Moore had. Do something to make up for the loss of one of those tools. That's not too lofty of a goal for him. No, absolutely not. I mean, it's it's time. This this is the year where you usually. If you if you don't contribute this year and you've been there this long, then it's you know it says a little more about you. Dontario Drummond. Um. So 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 for Drummond, I would say um you know be that guy. I mean he he showed flash. He was probably the most consistent of the the wide receivers outside of Elijah Moore. But um you know step up and be that leader. Be, be the next great wide receiver at Ole Miss. You know you you obviously got the talent. Um, but I mean, I, I would say for him, you know, step up and, and be the guy. I mean, do, do whatever you can to be, to be Ole Miss's guy. Cause it's, it's there for the taking. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he, he, he's certainly a candidate that, that I would like to see take that, that next step. If you were trying to pick an odds on favorite for the player that emerges and becomes the guy, is that the guy? Um, I, I'm going to say Braylon Sanders. I think he's going to have a big year. He, 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 he's got, if he stays healthy. I think he's going to have a big year. Um, he, he's, he showed some real, real, you know, some real deep threat, um, you know, potential there, there late in the year. And I, th I think he's going to have a breakout year. I really do. And I think this, uh, and I'm going to be honest with you. I think that 
as we're talking about the wide receivers, one of these young guys, one of these young recruits, because I've been I've been hearing a lot about these guys just in talking to, to certain people in the building and and coaches in general. But these they say these young receivers are the real deal, and um, I mean that they, they say these guys are very impressive so far. The deal with Braylon is just staying healthy, but I don't know if at this point there's anything he can do when a guy develops a reputation of being an injury riddled player. It's hard to rid yourself of that. It feels like injury just follows you wherever you go. So how do you get rid of that? How do you? Yeah, sometimes it's just luck, man. I mean, some guys, I've been around multiple guys who never get hurt, no matter what. I mean, they just never get hurt. And I've been around guys who could literally make one cut and, and get hurt for two weeks. So sometimes guys just have that unlucky streak. But I think athletically, if you look in that room, he, he, he's got freakish athletic ability. And, um, you know, you're hoping that can stay healthy and maybe him get out there and get more reps and, and, um, you know, get more confidence and, and, and maybe more reps are, are, are what's good for him. So he, um, you know, isn't sitting around and getting spotty reps and maybe that's why he's getting hurt. Who knows? But, um, I mean, athletically, the, the guy is, um, very, very gifted. Jaden Jackson. Um, I think you put him right there with Dennis. I mean, you just, just got to justify your existence and, um, you, know, you just got to compete, man. Try try to find a role in the, in, the, in that room. A callback to Andy Kennedy, justify your existence. I like it. Jacor Pearson, the transfer from Western Kentucky, a senior. Um, so I mean, obviously, I mean, we, we all we all heard he walked on, which was, um, you know, I, I don't know what the deal was with that, but um, I, I think he's going to come in. I think it's going to be between him and JJ Henry, who's going to be the starting slot. Um. And I think you get out there and, and you, you provide that that spark for for um, you know for the wide receiver room. We need some guys that can shift in the slot and be real, have a lot of movement. And you look at that guy's film; he's pretty shifty. So, I think a guy like that is is a guy that'll come in with such a chip on his shoulder from a smaller school. He's wanting to try to make it to the next level. He put up big stats at at Western Kentucky. So, um, look for a guy like that to be pretty hungry. And, and if, if he's able to do it and, and um, you know, it does have the talent, I think indeed he'll be a, he'll be a really good candidate to, to take over a major role for us. Your boy, Brandon Buckhalter. Um, I think potential starter day one. I think he's going to, he's going to really be fighting for some playing time for him. You know, the, the, the thing that a guy like that has to do is he has to come in there. He has to, I mean, it's really hard to do for an 18 year old, but he has to grab that playbook and he has to learn football, legit football. High school, a lot of times, 90% of the times they don't teach teach football like like to the core what you need to know to, to play in the SEC or play in the NFL he has to learn football he has to learn coverage he has to learn how to you know, make cuts he has to learn how to get open with his feet um, you know all this different little stuff but but he needs if he knows the playbook in and out and can and can really really be in the right spot I think talent wise it's going to be I mean he's going to be off the charts but how much of that can you pick up in the spring a lot. You get the playbook, you get the paper playbook, and you go home every day and you read it to the to the core, front and back. You know, you understand defense. You go have questions. You treat that book. A lot of times, guys come in, they don't, they 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 only go to meetings. They learn in the meeting. They go home and they go do something else. You got to have that book. You got to marry that book. You got to be with it every day. You got to understand it. Um, you got to really get it. Get what a, what a defensive coverage is. You got to start understanding what formations are. Why why there certain motions. If, if, if he can buy in and be that kind of guy, the talent is, is, is there. I mean, it's, it, it's eye-popping at this moment. Look, I like Brandon Buckhalter. Played high school football in Mississippi. I wasn't any good. That's not what I'm saying. Point being that no matter where you go, what school you go to, you played high school football in Mississippi. You know this too. 
the coaching, and it's not a knock on these coaches. They do a good job. But as far as philosophically and verbiage and language and concepts, they're not particularly difficult. Mostly you're running a very, very limited playbook here. So for a lot of these guys, how do you overcome that mental block? It would seem to me to be incredibly overwhelming. The first day you arrive and you get your playbook, you're effectively going to be reading Chinese. Yeah, you see it's football. Yeah, you see, oh, that's a route. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it certainly is. And I, I was always one of those learners where I had to go out there and actually do it. Um, so no matter how much I studied it on paper, I was one of those guys who would like to actually go walk through it and kind of get some muscle memory on it. So maybe he's that kind of guy. But everything's there for the taking if you want it, man. Um, I mean, it, when you're going through these plays, if you're just going to go out there and not pay attention, you know, not you have to take your study into to the next level. It's not like high school where you check in and out. You kind of marry it for as long as you're here. And, um, you know, you, obviously they're going to have struggles. But um, if you really if you really dig deep and, and dive into it, it's I mean, it, it is still only football. I mean, it's you're, you're not doing brain surgery or not like that. I mean, you're it's as, it's it is as simple as lining up and understanding how they're lined up and, and, and where to run certain places. You know, it's it's not it's not overly hard to figure out. But, yeah, I mean, they, they, there's just a lot, a lot, a lot of memory that goes into it. Quay Davis is coming from Itawamba Community College. Is it different for a guy? Is there a significant step up as far as philosophy, strategy, concepts, language, all that stuff from high school to JUCO that will allow because ideally guys like Quay Davis or a guy like Jamon Gordon, they're supposed to be ready made to step in and play. You don't recruit Juco guys to sit. If a Juco player comes in and he sits and he isn't playing, you can go ahead and count him as a bust pretty early. Is there a significant step that gives him an advantage over a Brandon Buckalter? The only thing that Juco does for players is, is they're farther along physically um, because they're playing a not the best, the best, but, but everybody in Juco is a pretty good player. There's no, you're not lined up in high school and just running over or trucking guys. You're not doing that in Juco for sure. And in high school, you do have games where you do that, but it, the, the, the competition's a little better. Juco is just, it kind of prepares you physically. Mentally, they're going to be around the same. Nobody in Juco is doing much, much different stuff than, than high school. I mean, it's, it's, it's relatively the same as high school, maybe a step up, but yeah, the verbiage, they're all going to be on even playing field when it comes to, um, you know, Juco versus, versus high school. Every now and then you get a, a Juco that does a little bit more, but I mean, for the most part, they may be a, a tad bit of a, a farther ahead, but not much. Man, I'm looking at all these names. We just ran through all the wide receivers and I, and I'm just pointing out immediately guys that jump off the page. Like, okay, I want to see what he does in the spring. Like Damon Clowney, he needs to be good in the spring. Yeah, I mean, I think coming in though, he had some. He had, didn't he have COVID issues early on, and then he had. Um, he did. You know, obviously, he he was a weight guy, a guy that needed to gain weight or something like that, if I remember correctly. And was obviously highly recruited. Has you know has the name attached to his brother, but um, yeah, I mean, it, I think that you know he he probably got his normal redshirt year. I'm sure he's a great athlete, and then you know if he doesn't do anything this year, I'm more concerned. But you know, a lot of times, sometimes these these coaches see guys have a lot of talent. They know they want to get them to a certain place, and um, would he have made that big of a difference on our defense this year, even if he was better than you know some of the other guy? I don't think so. So, I think he's one of those guys who they have big plans for that that they are just trying to get to to where they want him to get weight wise and and maturity and maturity wise. So, yeah, I, I look for him to at least get in there and get to contribute this year. If not, then yeah, a little bit concerned there. We can talk all we want about Snoop Connor and Henry Parrish going at each other to back up Jerry on Ely or to split carries with Jerry on Ely. Don't sleep on Kentrell Bullock, man. 
Um, so here, a quote, quote when asked about Kentrell Bullock has a chance to be extra special. Um, but, but maybe tries a little too hard at times. Um, whenever he gets, whenever he gets a shot, like he's, he's trying to make too much happen at, at you know, he, he's really hungry to get in there. So when he gets in there, he's, he may, maybe, you know, tries to make too much happen, but, um, talent wise could be very special. Isn't there something too though, not reading too much into the spring? Yeah, I mean you can, but um, yeah, the, the spring is to get better. So anytime anybody is, you know, doing great in the spring, so to speak, I mean it's, it's coaches know who's actually getting better and who's actually you know, um, you know, progressing correctly. So I mean, yeah, Devin Thomas, yeah, he did he did fine in the spring. He did good in the spring. I mean, a lot of guys did good in the spring. Some guys did bad in the spring. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the spring, I, I don't really look too much in the spring as, Hey, who did good, who did bad, who's actually developing, who's getting better. Who's, you know, I, I, I don't look at it from like a, a stats or performance standpoint and scrimmages, all that, but, um, you know, who's actually out there becoming consistent, who's actually able to handle, you know, you know, the playbook is little stuff like that, which is more important in the spring than, than actually, um, you know, any kind of like, Hey, Hey, Devin Thomas scores two touchdowns last week. Who cares about that? But like, you know, is, is he consistently becoming a better player all around? Was there a player back when y'all were playing in Cotton Bowls that arrived maybe with a high recruiting pedigree that surprised you that he wasn't any good? Uh, I mean, there was there was lots of guys. I mean, I mean, I would say that you know probably for every high ranked guy that is good, there's probably one that isn't. Um, you know that I can think of. I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. I mean, there's been some people that you know, you look like Enrique Davis and all that. I mean, maybe, maybe we weren't a good fit for him, but you know, he never, he was supposed to be a, you know, really good running back. Um, and, and there was times where he was, but I don't know, maybe it wasn't a good fit, whatever. Um, he didn't get as many carries. I mean, it's just, you know, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, you look at a Matt Corral. I mean, if, if Matt Luke stays, are we even talking about this guy right now? Or is he at the quarterback for Southern Miss or something right now? So, um, who knows? I mean, it, it's all depends on fit and, and situation and, and some guys fit, some don't. Did any player surprise you? Like he hit you for the first time. You went, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Who is this dude? How highly rated was Johnny Brown? Was he a, was he a three or. Yeah. He was a three two? star Johnny. Johnny Brown, friend of the program. He's been on this uh, pod. Yeah. yeah. Johnny was pretty special from the jump. I mean, from, from a maturity standpoint to a, to a we'll rock you. He was, he was pretty solid throughout his whole career. I mean, he was, he was one of those guys. I remember when he first came in, we were like, whoa, this dude's pretty good. Jamarcus Sanford shocked me. Oh, yeah, but if you got – what was he What was he rated? Cause a two-star. Oh, my gosh. He was an absolute animal from day one, period. He started he as a worried. true freshman for O. Yeah, no, he's he's that dude. He he was he was a grown A man. Let's just put it that way. So, you, it, so sometimes, sometimes you can't put a star on a mindset and a mentality and – and where, you know, obviously coming from South and all of that program, that dude was a dog, man. I mean, he, he, I don't know, I guess maybe he was smaller or something when he was coming out. I don't know, but, um, he would absolutely, yeah, he would take some heads off out there. He would also rip people to shreds in the locker room too. Oh yeah. He's a nice guy though, but you don't get him to say, I mean, he was a super cool guy, very chill, but he's one of those dudes who you just, um, no, I was never gonna, I was <laughs> never gonna finish him or try to you know do something extra and try to, <laughs> You, you knock him down behind the whistle or something, you know, when you get in the locker room, you're about to you about to have to get in a fight, a real fight. I'm just looking at this roster, man. I can't believe we're getting a spring. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, the most intriguing names are the 18 new arrivals. Yeah, DeMond Clowney's interesting and all that, but the most intriguing thing is all these newcomers. 
and what they're going to look like and which ones are immediately going to turn your head. Because you knew the first time you ever saw Laquan, not in the spring, but when he got on campus, like Laquan or Laramie or A.J. Brown or Rob, they had a look about him. You knew they were going to be good. But it was even more than that. Denzel Kimdichie, his first year, even when he redshirted, he was flashing. And then as a redshirt freshman, he was the best player on the field that spring. And he was a freshman All-American. Unfortunately, everybody knows what happened with Denzel, friend of the pod. You can tell usually when you're out there, guys that are coming on. The question is, can you carry it over? Because there are times when a player is really good in the spring, but it just doesn't carry over to the fall for whatever reason. Yeah, some of that has to do with comfort, man. I mean, um, sometimes you get out there, practice, you know all these guys, you're comfortable, you're, you're letting loose, it doesn't count, it's not a game. And then you get out there on the field and it's like things start, you know, you don't know the guys well, you're not, you know, you're just not as comfortable, not as confident. And it just doesn't translate. I mean, it, it happens, man. I mean, I, I love Mitchell Trubisky when I was with the bears, but in practice, that dude was an, I mean, he was as good as they can. He literally like a Tom Brady in practice knew, read the ball, knew where to throw it, you know, making plays like super confident in the game. He played too safe. So he never really, uh, I think there's so much more in his tank and it, it, he's just a prime example of, Sometimes players can't translate it to the game, and, and, and that's why they're special and some aren't. I mean, some guys can really go out there in game day and, and treat it like it's just a practice and go out there and just dominate, and some guys are, are really tense. I mean, I struggle with that some at times too. I mean, I'd go out there and, and it'd be game time, and you just at times you just you, you do things you know you shouldn't have done, or you or you're just pressing trying to you know trying to be perfect, and it's it's tough. I mean, being a consistent player outside of of practice and taking it to game is it's a tough talent. That's why I respect guys that are great for so long because it's harder to be great for one day, much less a, a long span of time. Lane Kiffin still hasn't made his way back into town, so I look forward to seeing what Lane Kiffin's going to bring once he gets back. Spent a lot of time in Florida this offseason. I don't blame him. That's the Lane Kiffin experience, man. But we've never experienced a Lane Kiffin spring. I have no idea what it looks like. Isn't that remarkable? We just went through a full season with Lane Kiffin as the head coach of Ole Miss, and we never saw him in spring. We never saw him or observed a practice in the fall. Yeah, we got to talk to him over Zooms after games. We met him in person one time before the season started. But other than that, there was no observing him and how he interacts and how he deals or handles or schedules practices control his practices. We don't know any of that stuff. It's really pretty incredible how little we know about this team. Think about it. We know Matt Corral, sure, but we don't know Matt Corral as he is now. We remember Matt Corral when he was competing for a job. When he lost his job, by no fault of his own, he just got hurt to John Rice Plumley. When he was taken to SEC Media Day and pretty much put on display as a freshman, as the face of the program, and then he lost his job. It's just really interesting how little we know about this group. Uh, and, and I feel like it, for for you and I and any any person you know observing the team, when we get to actually go see them in person, I'm going to have such a, a better opinion of them or, or, or have a much more honest opinion. I mean, it's, doing you guys' job this year, trying to you know get an opinion of a player without seeing him in person, seeing you know how he moves and stuff, just just kind of doing it all by here. I mean, I, I don't even know. It's just hard to do. I can't wait to actually go see some players, and then I'll I'll be able to create a you know opinion right there of of you know if if they are if they do have potential if they're good. I mean, right now we just kind of go off what we see on game day essentially. You'll be stuck with the offensive lineman. I can't. So when when I'm watching a game, if an old lineman struggle, I can't watch the game because I'm so stressed out for him. Whenever I see him start losing this couple and almost give him a couple sacks, 
I'm like, man, I can't watch this game. I, I don't even. I know it's going to unfold here shortly. I can't. I can't even watch that. That's just it. Oh, it drives me nuts. Like, I, I always watch the tackles first before I do anything and a play. So I would assume then that when Chaz Green got absolutely dominated by the Falcons, that had to be one of the worst experiences. If you watched it at all, do you remember that? Yeah, it was hard to watch. He he literally lost the same move over and over again. It was going against Adrian Claiborne, and it was literally just a jump chop. And it lit the dude, it's like he made no adjustments. It was it was it was like being it was like watching a nightmare. Couldn't even couldn't even handle it. If you're a coach, how do you not provide him help when they're doing the same thing over and over and over again? Yeah, at, at some point, um, you got to you got to you can't keep losing to the same move. You know, if, and that's that dude's only move. I went against that guy a gazillion times. Um, yeah, he just he, he had like what two sacks before that game and got like six and oh he had eight. He finished the season with ten, so it wasn't like he was this you know huge dominant rusher there. So he just um, was tricking him, I guess, with the same move over and over. I don't know where we're going with this podcast. We just started talking about football. Ended up here. The most encouraging thing is that Ole Miss sports, you're about to start being able to go to them. Been a long time coming. Feels like forever. Ooh, Miles battled defensive back for a spring. That's going to be fun. Yeah, I mean, what was kind of weird there is he, he got in there early, did did well, and then it was kind of spotty for the rest of the year. Um, uh, maybe i like to see him with the full spring. But we're going to be so deep in the secondary with all these newcomers. Um, this is going to be one of the most talented secondaries Ole Miss has ever had, I think. Dink Jackson is 39. Jake Springer, the transfer from Navy, is 39. Huh. I think we're going to have a couple of number changes before the season gets <laughs> yeah. started. A lot of these guys, they're going to be getting lower numbers. I would expect actually some movement after the spring because let's not pretend like these rosters are settled. I mean, if you look around, the transfer portal still is in effect here. And I think there's going to be a number of players that after the spring is over are going to determine where they are on the depth chart and whether or not they want to stay. Might not be in their best interest to leave because the portal has been unkind to a lot of different players. Don't be surprised if you see a lot of movement after springs are over. I don't think roster construction these days is it's just like with coaching searches. Now you saw coaches being hired and fired in January and February. You were worried about Jeff Levy in February. Yeah, I can, I can certainly, I mean, that that is crazy, crazy dynamics nowadays that, that, um, you know, I guess it gives the player the option to go into the spring. And then if you're not getting reps and you kind of, the writing's on the wall there, maybe you look to look to go somewhere else. But I, I know that, um, you know, I, I think that I think you're correct. I think that there's there's going to be a player to leave that that maybe you know Ole Miss fans thought were wasn't, and then there may, we maybe add a couple, maybe add a couple guys from other teams. So, yeah, st- certainly not settled. I, I think that um, we can certainly look for some kind of tight end to come in here at some point. Um, I know that the Gilbert guy just just decommitted from what was it Florida or something like that. That that would be a cool get, but you know that's that's maybe a long shot. And I, I know that that there there may be maybe some out there that were that these coaches are familiar with that that are looking to go into the spring and see how they do at their school and then um you know maybe almost has a spot for them three positions that would be perfect for almost to add to not necessarily now but after the spring summer if you had to pick tight ends obvious so give me three not named tight end um, I would like a pass rusher, like a, like a bona fide edge rusher, a guy that that has proven has had some sacks in, in a big conference. I like an offensive lineman. I, I would actually like two tackles because I, I think that um, I think the plan 
for Ole Miss is to have Nick Broker at left guard and, and Ben Brown at right guard at some point. I think that's 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 wait, 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 wait. Nick Broker off a of left tackle. One hundred percent, Nick Broker at left guard. I know that's that's what what would be ideal, um, you know, f- for our line. But um, yeah, I, I would say maybe some tackles, a um, a linebacker or um, or an edge rusher, middle linebacker potentially too. But Nick was really good at tackle. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm not just saying Nick, that if you hadn't heard something. Nick's a left guard at the left at the next level. Um, he's certainly holding up and playing hard at tackle. But he is—he's not—he's not, he's not a, a true tackle. Why not? Um, I think you just look at his build. I mean, he—he—he he, he can move guys. He's—he's, he's, um, yeah. If you want—if you want to see why not, watch some of the LSU game whenever he had to go one-on-one. There's times that whenever he's required to to sit back and go one-on-one, where that's that's not really his strength. Um, I think he's best suited at left guard. I, I think they want him at guard. I just think that that we don't have the tackles to be able to slide him in. Um, and, but, but ideally if you had Brown at right guard and broker at left guard, um, we would be in a, in a much better situation on that line. Huh? Jeremy James at right tackle. Uh, he'll, he'll have a shot. I know, I know he'll have a shot, but, um, no, he's got a little, little maturing to do. Um, but he, he, he certainly, he, he is a guy that will be in the mix. Who would be at center? Ben Brown was at center. Now you're moving him away from center again. Yeah, I think uh, I think that that could be a potential position. Maybe a center, uh, maybe somebody young steps up and actually plays center, and and it moves Ben out. But I, I think ideally they want they want him at guard. That's interesting. Why didn't you say this earlier? Because I could have spent a whole thirty minutes talking about the construction of this offensive line. What the hell? Why did we talk about wide receivers? We should have talked about offensive linemen. Oh well, we got time. Spring football is coming up, and hopefully we'll have plenty of spring storylines. Learn a lot from spring that we can talk about here on Talk of Champions. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Bradley South, former Ole Miss offensive lineman, eight-year NFL vet. Got to go now to the Modern Women phone line to speak to David Cobb. He covers college basketball and college football for CBS Sports. He's going to help make sense of the NCAA tournament bubble and Ole Miss's chances to make the NCAA tournament, however small those chances might be. If you haven't already subscribed, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes, also available in SoundCloud and Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, and affiliate 247 Sports. Thanks, buddy. I'll see you later. See you, Ben. Howdy, toddy. Going now to David Cobb. Before we do, let's hear from BNA Bank and Modern Woodman. Reason number 12 to bank at BNA. We are the bank for Northeast Mississippi. We have one home, Northeast Mississippi. Seeing this local Northeast Mississippi economy thrive and helping the people of our area with their borrowing needs is our only focus. From buying a home to starting your own business, we are the team of local lenders standing ready to make your dreams a reality. BNA Bank. We are the bank of Northeast Mississippi. Member FDIC. An equal housing lender. Are you tired of working 9 to 5 for 40 hours every week just to make money for someone else? Well, our sponsor of the Talk of Champions phone line is Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, and he's looking to hire new financial representatives here in Mississippi. No background experience is necessary, but you do have to be a resident of Mississippi. And what he's looking for is someone who is highly self-motivated and who wants to make a difference in the lives of others. A full-time position comes with benefits, such as health insurance, a matching 401k, and a pension plan. For more information, feel free to reach out to Thomas personally. You can find him on Facebook, or his number is 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. That's Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions.
The Modern Woodman phone line. Cool. We'll talk. No big whoop. No big whoop. Where the best Ole Miss guests from far and wide drop in to talk the very latest in Rebel Sports. Modern Woodman. Let's make a difference together. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit. Ben on Twitter going now to the Modern Woodman phone line to speak to David Cobb. He covers college basketball, college football for CBS Sports. David, what's up, man? How you doing? Ben, I'm doing well. appreciate you having me on. Thanks for coming on. I have you here for a number of reasons, but atop the list is making sense of the NCAA tournament bubble. I've tried to make sense of it. It feels like every single year, David, we say that the bubble is soft or that the bubble is weak. Help me understand where the bubble is today. Yeah, well, I think it's it's a unique year, obviously, in, in so many respects, but uh, that translates to the bubble as well because, you know, you're trying to judge a lot of apples versus oranges types of resumes. Um, you know, uh, the non-conference schedule being as disjointed and disrupted as it was has uh, created some some uneven resumes, uh, I think. And, um, you know, some bubble teams, I think, are really benefiting. They got some good non-conference games in uh, because they gave them uh, more chances to bolster their resumes than uh, some other teams that were hurt because of uh, the pandemic back during November and December. So uh, that's had an, uh, an outsized impact. And, and the other way that's manifest itself this year is, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, the NCAA went to this quadrant system uh, to, to sort of categorize games uh, for the selection committee. And uh, there's some interesting criteria there because a game that is against teams one through 30 in the net counts as a quad one game at home. But a game against a team that is quad or uh, one through seventy-five in the net on the road counts as quad one. But we know home court advantage is not what it normally is. So you're also getting a, a pretty nice break if you even just beat a mediocre team uh, on the road this year. So that's an interesting dynamic in all of this as well. On Tuesday, Super Tuesday, Ole Miss beat Kentucky, which never happens, and in any other year, that would be monumental. But Kentucky even though the net's fine, losing record, going to have a losing SEC record. And then Ole Miss, when you look at a blind resume, it looks pretty good on paper. It should be in contention with all the other bubble teams. Three and O record, I think, against top 25 teams. Three quad one wins. Seven quad one, quad two wins. Why does Ole Miss not at least, why are they not in contention at least for the bubble right now? Well, I think it's, it's a couple of bad losses. Uh, I mean, the Vanderbilt loss, you know, the other day is just, a really tough one to take at, the, at this time of the year, um, especially with some of the guys that, that Vanderbilt is, is playing without at the moment. You know, that one is uh, tough to swallow. So when you look at a couple of quad three losses, you know, that those drag down uh, your resume, even though, you know, you've beaten some quad one teams. I think, you know, Ole Miss is, is I believe, eight and eight, you know, in quad one or quad two opportunities. That's solid. Um, I would say the thing probably holding Ole Miss back right now would be, a couple of uh, quad three losses. Um, I'm thinking that the other one there is probably Georgia, if I've got that right, back in mid-January. Um, so, you know, th- those hurt you, those sting, um, and, and especially, you know, later in the year. And, and I think the committee the committee doesn't have, you know, uh, eyes and ears everywhere, but they're in tune enough to realize that was a Vanderbilt team playing pretty shorthanded as well. Yeah, that loss was certainly crippling. We all knew it at the time. The question is, can Ole Miss overcome it? 
and expecting that Ole Miss is going to be the five or six seed in the SEC tournament. They're going to draw South Carolina, Texas A&M, or Vanderbilt. None of those wins, if they win those games, would matter. We're assuming here that Ole Miss beats Vanderbilt on Saturday. And Ole Miss being schizophrenic as it is, that is no guarantee. But anyway, we're assuming that's going to happen. (laughs) If they get that first win in Nashville on Thursday, and then they draw LSU or Florida and win that game, is that enough? You know, I, I think for, for Ole Miss, you're probably looking at um, needing to make at least the semis and maybe the, the championship game in Nashville to, uh, to, to make a run at an at-large bid just because of where they are right now. Um, you know, like I'm not our chief bracketologist, but our guy who is um, doesn't actually even have Ole Miss listed, you know, on, on, it, uh, on his list of, of the primary bubble teams right now. So, but if you look at the net ranking and you look at those, you know, eight and eight and quad one and quad two, they're not far. It's not impossible for Ole Miss to get uh, into the at-large bid conversation. But but doing that, I think, is going to require winning more than just one game in the SEC tournament. You brought up a good point. Jerry Palm, I was reading his bracketology for CBS Sports. He's the lead bracketologist. And I was looking at the bubble teams. Ole Miss is nowhere to be found. But you look at other teams that are comparable, like, for example, Stanford, 14 and 11, 10 and 9 in the Pac-12, has lost three in a row. Ole Miss has won six of eight. Now, of course, those two losses are to the two worst teams in that stretch. So for every big win over a top 10 Tennessee, you have a clunker against Vanderbilt or Mississippi State at home. But I'm trying to make sense of a Stanford or Seton Hall or Duke, for example, that a lot of people, I guess, want to see in the tournament. But how is Ole Miss's resume that much worse or so far away from those other teams when the numbers say that they're pretty much all, you know, collected together there on the bubble. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the the SEC not being, you know, as strong this year as maybe in, in a couple of recent years. I mean, it's still better than it was five or six years ago. There's no debating that. But, um, you know, the, the quad one wins that Ole Miss does have, I mean, if you really want to get into the nitty-gritty of it, um, you know, they are not necessarily wins against uh, Alabama, you know, or – um, wins against uh, a Kentucky win would normally be a quad one win. You know, that, that win last night, monumental as it was for the program to snap that losing streak against Kentucky, that win is not over Kentucky is not what it normally is um, because of, you know, how, how bad the Wildcats have been this year. So um, I, I think that has a, a, has a factor in it. Not all quad one and quad two wins are created equal. Um, and so, you know, with those other teams you mentioned, um, they've had, a, a, I think, you know, with Seton Hall in particular, uh, a couple of really nice wins that maybe don't just show up at a, you know, at a quick glance on the met- on the, uh, the metrics. Assuming that Ole Miss doesn't make the NCAA tournament, it's not likely. Is it fair to say that Ole Miss being the last Power 5 program to start their season and then losing those precious few opportunities, Wichita State, Dayton in the non-con, holding second-half leads and blowing them, and then not being able to hold on in the second half with a nine-point lead at Florida, those are going to be the games that, yes, the losses to Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, that's bad. But those are the games that, had you just held on there, they're comfortably in right now, right? Yeah, I I think so. I mean, I think... (laughs) I hate to harp on that, on that Vandy loss, you know, uh, so much, but it's absolutely one, um, you know, cause they were on the bubble most places, you know, Palm had them on the bubble going into that game and then they lost it. And, and that's just, you know, it, it's just brutal. And it's one that, you know, will I think requires some soul searching and, and give credit to Vandy. I mean, Jerry Stackhouse is getting a lot out of that team, even with Pippen and the Sioux out, um, you know, they gave Tennessee a run for their money the other night and have been playing everybody down to the wire. So, 
I don't want to make it seem like, you know, that was just an abysmal or shameful loss, but just given the timing of it and uh, where things stood, you know, in, in this bubble race, it was pretty catastrophic. So, yeah, I mean, Ole Miss, uh, I, I give it a, a tip of the cap for, for everything that they've gone through this year. Um, like you said, I mean, they didn't play the first game uh, until what, like mid, mid-December, you know? Um, and then I think it was even uh, the beginning of SEC play before they really played a, um, you know, a power conference team. Uh, so to start out the way they started out with that type of adversity and battle back to a position here where they're having this conversation, um, you know, I know, that, you know, through the Andy Kennedy years that, that just getting to the bubble isn't enough at Ole Miss and, and that people expect more, and especially with the way that, that Kermit's first year went, you know. But uh, I, I do still think that that loss to Vanderbilt, you know, notwithstanding that this has been a, a solid rally, you know, for this team and that uh, there, there are some, some things to look to, look to in the future um, to provide some optimism. You know, I look at a guy like, you know, Matthew Morrell, maybe somebody who can, uh, begin to blossom as he takes on a, a bigger role um, going forward with the Dante Schuler movement, you know. So um, I think this team will be fine. Um, I think this program will be fine. Kermit Davis has been doing this a long time. Um, and nobody wants to have patience uh, preached to him. I know that. I know that for, for sure. But uh, uh, I, I'm encouraged watching Ole Miss over the last few weeks um, because I think they are starting to play a lot better. You're talking about SEC country here, man. You know there's no patience for anything. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I know, I know firsthand. Yeah, it's just the way it goes. Okay, so who are the number one and number two seeds? Well, I mean, obviously Gonzaga, uh, Baylor, Michigan. Uh, even with Michigan having lost, you know, by twenty-five points the other night to Illinois, they're still, you know, clearly, um, you know, a number one seed in my mind. And um, Illinois did a lot too. I think bolster its case uh, by the way it handled that game against Michigan while missing Io Dusunu. Who's their best player? And, and to go out and beat Michigan by 20-plus points uh, under those circumstances is it's, uh, pretty wild, you know, to say the least. And, and the thing that, that I guess is exciting about these next couple of weeks is that, you know, that number two seed line is, is kind of up for grabs. Um, you know, uh, right now it's kind of like West Virginia, Alabama, Iowa, Ohio State. But, um, you know, there's four Big Ten teams right there. And uh, Illinois, Michigan on the one seed line, Iowa, Ohio State on the two seed line. Um, who are going to be duking it out um, with a bunch of games against each other over the next couple of weeks. And those, those games are going to decide who ends up where. Uh, so there's a lot still unsettled, even though Gonzaga and Baylor and Michigan kind of look like locks uh, on the, on the number one seed line. Um, and then the rest of the bubble is, is still very much in flux, you know, because you know, all the way down, um, you know, to, to teams that are probably in the mid sixties in the net um, probably still feel like they have a chance depending on how things shake out right now. And, and Ole Miss is actually, you know, at, at 58 in the net. So uh, I'm excited, man. It's that time of year where, uh, you know, beyond just the games involving ranked teams, um, some of the games involving teams that are not ranked are, are really important and really great television because um, they're teams that are fighting for their postseason lives. How is it that Gonzaga is obviously the best team in the country and going to be a number one seed. And yet it still feels like going into the tournament, there's this underdog component to them. <laughs> well, it's because people forget about them because, you know, and maybe if you're paying attention to college basketball in November and December, uh, you, you kind of become aware uh, of Gonzaga. And, and no doubt that was the case this year because they played a really tough non-conference schedule and Jalen Suggs was making some highlights, but but come January, I mean, unless you're staying up until midnight to watch them on some obscure, a lot of times obscure TV uh, channel, 
you know, you're really not seeing them. And so they, they just sort of fall uh, out of sight, out of mind, I think, for the casual college basketball fan. But uh, uh, believe me, they are legit. And uh, Mark Hughes got, I think, what what is his best team yet. Um, Jalen Suggs is, is a really, really good player. Um, he's, he's a phenomenal point guard, and he's not even – uh, their first or second option to score offensively. So uh, Gonzaga legit. You always worry about them though, because when you you've been playing San Diego and St. Mary's and San Francisco for uh, the last two months, now all of a sudden you get thrown into a winner go home situation against higher caliber competition. That's that's a big ramp up, you know. And so that's something that they've always got to deal with. How many bids does the SEC get? Oh, uh, let's see. I would say you know probably six, uh, depending on. Uh, how things shake out over the next few weeks. Um, you know, uh, Ole Miss would be a team uh, that could, you know, maybe sneak in there and uh, get that number up. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Let's see right now. I would say Alabama, Arkansas, definitely, you know, uh, two seed, three seed there, depending on how things shake out. And Tennessee, Florida, LSU, I guess, would be your locks and probably Missouri. And I think that gets you to six. Um, Ole Miss would be the, the next team. Uh, Ole Miss would make it half the league. Um, it'll take something special, I think, for them. You know, like I said, uh, obviously you, you got to you got to be Vandy in the, in the regular season finale, and then in my mind, um, you got to win two games at least in the SEC tournament, and it, and it would help if those were against, if at least one of those was against a team that is a lock, you know, for the tournament, um, depending on how the bracket shakes out, and you know, it could be a really good year for the league if um, if Auburn had not been on the self-imposed ban, and had Kentucky been what we thought it would. I mean, this could have ended up being. Uh, one of the, the banner years for SEC basketball. If you get six in, it's still a good year. Um, that's obviously better than where things were five or six years ago. Um, you know, but it's kind of one of those years where I think you look at the SEC and you think about what could have been. Um, so who knows? Maybe Ole Miss can, can make a run here down the stretch and kind of um, you know raise some eyebrows on behalf of the SEC. Uh, but I kind of look at it and see Cooper at Auburn and, and those freshmen at Kentucky and, and thinking they're not going to be in the dance. Um, I guess that speaks to the SEC's depth, um, you know. So I, I think six teams in right now, and, and and kind of a what if scenario in your mind with with some of that talent, um, you know, if things have maybe gone a little bit differently, uh, if maybe this could have been, been an even better year for the league. Yeah, the SEC kind of cannibalized itself, but I have to admit something. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but outside of Ole Miss's game against Kentucky, I hadn't watched a game for the Wildcats all year. Make sense of this? Why Kentucky just never worked? Well, terrible outside shooting is one thing. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's, you're going to be hard-pressed to win in college basketball these days if, if you're not at least semi-competent from beyond the arc. And Kentucky's shown flashes here during the SEC play where they've had a couple of three-game winning streaks um, and started to shoot the ball better. But there's just no consistency from the outside. And, you know, a lot of people, I think, were banking on this transfer from Wake Forest, uh, Olivier Saar, to come in and, and be a, a really high-quality center at Kentucky and he, he's been okay, but he hasn't been great. And then, you know, Terrence Clark was one of their, their stud freshmen. He's been out um, with an injury is, is not going to play the rest of the year. Um, yeah. It just, that, that class has not materialized the way Calipari thought it would. And, you know, you think about um, the, the teams that are hurting the most this year that, you know, the Kentucky's not the only blue blood that's struggling. And, and a lot of that is, I think, attributable, attributable to the fact that typically you would get your freshmen in there months before the season starts. You would have plenty of time to build chemistry, um, install your stuff, you know, whatever. Uh, a lot of that was cut short because of the pandemic this year. And I think that's why you're seeing 
uh, Duke and Kentucky and North Carolina uh, struggle. And, and we might be headed towards a big dance that uh, is without um, at least two of those teams and maybe all three. And, and then, you know, Michigan State's been bad too. And, and so, um, you know, it's been a rough year for those Blue Bloods, those programs that uh, rely heavily on freshmen. And so I think it's, it's uh, probably made coaches like Kermit Davis who sort of have to build a program more than just rely on, on freshmen and, and the boom and bust cycle probably validated their approach a little bit because, you know, everybody wants their coach to go out there and chase five stars. But uh, as we're seeing now, especially with the advent of the G league and that becoming a, a legitimate option for the five-star guys, um, I don't know that the uh, reliance on, on the one and done type of player is going to continue to get you very far in college basketball, even after the pandemic. I give you Alabama or the rest of the SEC teams to make a run. Which are you going with? You know what? I'll actually take the field there because I, I'm a big believer in uh, Arkansas. And I'm a believer in Alabama, too. I mean, you know, everyone talks about the threes, but they play defense, too. And that's why I believe in them. But, uh, you know, Arkansas is, you know, right there with them, beat them the other day. And then, um, you know, I think a team like Florida or LSU uh, could get hot. I don't believe in Tennessee anymore. They've been too inconsistent. But, uh, you know, yeah, I would say between um, LSU, Florida, and, and maybe even Missouri there along with Arkansas, I think at least one of those teams uh, will, will make the second weekend and have a shot to maybe get to the round of eight. And so, yeah, I guess I'll take the field. Uh, no disrespect to Alabama. It's been a great year for them, but they're sure they're not invincible. So, so I think the SEC's got enough with the rest of that group to, uh, to maybe give Alabama a run for its money come March. He's David Cobb at David W. Cobb on Twitter. He covers college basketball, college football for CBS Sports. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. We'll do it again. Yeah, absolutely.